Hello friends, welcome to Running and Fitness with Raj. This show will bring you exciting and interesting guests and give you specific and actionable advice on your running, fitness and general health. Before getting into the episode today, I wanted to share with you the exciting news that the podcast now has a website runfitraj.com. That's r u n f i t r a j.com. Please check out the website. Uh, it has all the podcast. It has all the show notes. There is a very useful search function we can, uh, where you can search the various episodes and the show notes. And do send me any feedback or questions uh, that you have. That's runfitraj.com. Uh, our guest today is Dr. Mark Thukasela, who is an incredibly multifaceted person. Dr. Mark is a competitive runner with a personal best in the marathon of 2 hours and 24 minutes. In addition, Dr. Mark is the only individual who has run sub 3 hour marathons for 30 straight years, out of which in 22 years he ran sub 2 hours and 35 minutes. Dr. Mark is the author of a highly influential running book called Run for Your Life, which I have read including many chapters and passages multiple times i highly recommend uh, this to all the listeners dr mark also runs an award winning running store called uh, two rivers treads at ranson west virginia and is a professor at the west virginia university school of medicine he's a lieutenant colonel in the us air force reserves and designs running programs for us uh, air force so welcome to the podcast dr mark wow well, it's great to be here raj it was a, a kind introduction Thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for your time. So, why don't we begin uh, with you giving the listeners a, an overview of uh, about your running and athletic background, and how did you, you know, come to become an author and somebody who is an expert in various areas, not related to just running, but you know, moving and generally fitness, uh, fitness in general. Well, probably like you, Raj. You know, you've got an extensive. background in sports and learning and reading you make every mistake yourself and then you try to learn from your mistakes i just turned 54 a couple weeks ago so i have many more mistakes to make so hopefully there's many more discoveries but you know, i started running when i was young basically running around as a child and never got hurt and was a very active kid you know we didn't play video games and didn't eat a lot of junk food we were all pretty well and and i became a competitive runner in high school because I I I kind of football the sport of American football outgrew me. <laughs> I was a little guy, I could run fast, but when I the peewee leagues I did okay in football, but then um I weighed about 90 pounds my first year in high school, so I went out for the cross country team. And at, at that point in time I could run pretty well, but just started getting hurt all the time running. And you know, there's that was adolescence time. I was 13 years old to 17 years old in high school, so you're growing and but I had enough good seasons that I ended up running at University of Virginia made the team there collegiately but same patterns continued you know you'd have good couple months and you get hurt good couple months then you get hurt and that was the norm it wasn't just myself pretty much anyone doing collegiate running at that time was spending more time in the trainers room and that, that got me interested in medicine actually we had a very very uh, eccentric uh, doctor his name was Dr. Daniel Coolend who was our team physician he was like the mad scientist of running and you know I'd go to his office and he'd try to figure out a few things on what was going on with me but he he actually listened to me and he spent an hour 
you know, evaluating you. He'd had a toaster iron and he'd shape some things for your feet. And he had a deep water running pool. But you could tell he just had this keen interest and he was thinking about everything. And then I started my last year of college. I started to shadow him a little bit. And that got me motivated to apply for medical school. I'd be like, this would be cool, you know, to do this type of work. And so sports med was really my first love at that time. Didn't know anything about human health and metabolism. But as I got on through medical school, I found that that side of medicine, trying to keep people well, prevention, um, fitness, rehabilitation, and, and I was in the Air Force at the time. And that's a huge part of military medicine is keeping people fit so they don't get injured versus you know, the, the battlefield side is treating the injured. So we do both of that. But, the, you know, what keeps a, a force ready to, to fight is keeping them fit. Um, and kept my running going. And running at that time, medical school on, was just a diversion, you know, from everything else. But I found that I actually did better after college because I wasn't so, like, unilaterally focused on running as a competitive sport. It was more diversion. And my mileage cut down, you know, less stress. And, and I kind of found found my legs again. Um, but again, still had injury cycles and how I'd learn about the feet kind of going on into my post-collegiate years. Okay. And you were initially running cross-country and uh, presumably shorter distances. So when did you transition to the longer distances? Uh, was it in the college or after your college? Yeah, Raj, after college. The longest race in college is 10,000 meters on the track, which is 25 laps on the track. They don't put you into marathons. But uh, my my first year after I graduated med school, uh, graduated college, my first year in medical school, uh, there was a race called the Marine Corps Marathon. Yeah. And that was in late October. And a friend of mine, I just started running. I took the whole summer off after college and started just jogging a little bit in about September you know, it started school and I found that it just made me study better. And I went out on a run with a friend one weekend. It was like maybe three or four weeks before the race. And we ran 16 miles and he was signed up for the Marine Corps Marathon. And I that's the longest I'd ever run. We'd never ran that long in college. And uh, somehow I got talked into it. And in those days, uh, it was a little piece of paper. This is 1988, right? You, I think it was $25, you know, fill out the waiver, send it in and you get a number. Um, and I'd lined up at that race and I ran a two hour 34, just wow, kind of, okay. but maybe just ignorance is, is a good thing. You know, you just go out there and run and not think about it too much. Um, probably still went out a little too fast, but just from patterns of running, it was a marathon, but yeah, that kind of, kind of got me hooked on the marathon. It was just exciting to be in an event like that. Okay. And then you have kept it going for the, you know, pretty much uh, the entire time afterwards, it looks like. Yeah, I just a couple times a year I'd run a marathon. Usually I'd like to Marine Corps Boston, but jump into Chicago, New York. Um, for the military, we'd run some international races. So uh, ran various races in different places that looked interesting. But I, I didn't over race. I wasn't one of those like serial marathoners that would be running one every two months. At the most, I would probably run three, maybe four if there was a special military competition a year. Now I would probably recommend people to maybe do one. <laughs> so, you know, I think it still beats you down if you're trying to, to race those those events multiple times. Okay. And in your training, uh, you know, I have listened to you talk about uh, how you came across the uh, math method and how you changed your uh, training approach. Uh, can you just uh, take us through uh, take us through that process? And uh, obviously, it has worked for you, uh, but would love to hear from you directly on 
uh, why you made the transition and uh, what changes did you see and uh, wh- wh- why would you recommend such an approach to you know people who are people who are picking up endurance running yeah that's interesting too because in medical school certainly in in college running we don't learn much about physiology and the, and the people that kind of get geared to competitive running tend to be type a you know we don't know how to go easy on ourselves it's kind of why you end up in that space you're always just trying to go harder 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 so we, we never really took easy days easy none of us really understood that um, now modern coaches uh, truly understand that you know like folks like tin man you know these guys run really easy on their easy days recover um, all the Kenyans run super easy, but they hadn't even come over to America yet to run, you know, when I was in college in the 80s. Um, so we just basically, you know, so, so I kind of describe it like this, Raj. So people are, are horses or mules who go out there and start running. You know, a horse will run till they break and a mule will kind of just, they get a little uncomfortable and they stop. So I think if you're coaching people or advising people, you have to know which of those types you are. One isn't better than the other they're just different so the people running competitively tend to be horses so those people you got to just slow them down um, folks that are just more in it for fun you know community runners couch to 5k they're having conversations they're actually doing it right so they don't need to get heart rate monitors or anything because they're at a conversational pace they're already in the right space so we need to teach that other group how to slow down and what that does it builds our aerobic capacity builds our body's capacity to burn fat as fuel, builds our capillaries. So it's it's kind of what we call like a maximum aerobic function is, you know, how fast can you run at that pace where your heart rate is low and you're burning fat? Because that's the sustainable speed, not like what your top end speed is. So, you know, I, I read about this method. Um, I was on a plane. This is about year 2000. And there was an article by Mark Allen who had won six Ironman triathlons. You know, what people don't know much about Mark is that was after he had lost six Ironman triathlons to this guy named Dave Scott, and he was about ready to quit the sport. Then he went off and found Phil Maffetone, who's been really a close mentor to me over the years. But so Mark kind of just, it's going out and like finding the shaman, right? (laughs) He goes out and just says, I'm listening, Phil. I, you know, not ready to give up yet. So um, he puts his heart rate monitor on is Mark Allen and you know, he's running uh, nine minute a mile before it goes to about 150, which is kind of above his threshold. So he just drank in the Kool-Aid, started just keeping his heart rate at 150, you know, and then it was eight minute a mile, seven minute a mile. And before the Ironman in, I guess, 90, 1989, maybe, he was running like 530 pace at a heart rate of wow. 150, which is, yeah. And that year, you know, he, he ended up, that was like, they called it the iron war where him and Dave Scott were running like neck and neck, right? The whole race. They yeah, yeah. never That's talked a... to each other, right next to each other. And then at mile 23, Mark like sees some vision <laughs> and he goes, but uh, they, they took like 18 minutes off the Ironman record and he won by 50 seconds. And so I'm just reading this article and I'd come back from a foot surgery then. So it was kind of the right time to retool things. I, you know, I had the crooked toe and, you know, from squeezing into horrible shoes. And I did that out in my park. You know, I was living in this park in Denver and I'd be running like a 10 minute a mile. And I was about Mark Allen's age at the time. Would go beep, beep, beep. So I just stuck with it. You know, a month later, nine minute a mile, eight minute a mile, seven minute a mile. And this was uh, about year 2000, yeah, year 2000, um, right before the Marine Corps Marathon. And I'd sworn off running for the team that year because I wasn't, you know, training per se training hard but someone was hurt and they, they asked me to go run 
and I was just running around this park with a heart rate monitor on. But at that time, I was running close to six minutes a mile at this low heart rate, you know, waking up every day feeling good. You never needed a recovery day because you never beat yourself up. And I lined up at the start line and um, went through halfway in a, about 115 and turned around and came home in 113. But what was crazy, Raj, about that day, it just I felt like I could have turned around and done it again. Wow. Okay. Most of the time after marathons, you know, you're just like hanging on for dear, right? It sucks the last few miles. And you're like, I'm never going to do this again. It was really, it's it's just energizing when you're like, your body's like making energy and you're just feeling good. So I was pretty much sold after that. And, and you know, it was and, just and, and you have continued with it uh, ever since. Uh, oh, yeah. Time. Yeah. I'm not such a slave to the monitor now because I can sense. If I can breathe through my nose, if I can talk, you know, I can, I mean, I can sense what I'm below that zone where I'm kind of redlining. And that's okay. where I'll do most of my running because that's relaxing. But I sprint every day. So I think you have to make your legs move quickly every day, not for long durations of time. But even this morning out on the golf course, you know, easy, easy run, just relaxing. But then spent like 10 minutes doing sprints, skips, and things just to wake that system up. Yeah, in fact, that leads me to the next uh, question. So this uh, sprints and other uh, exercises you do pretty much every day you go for a workout uh, or is it like a few days a week? Now, I like finish. I think every day, is, unless you have something hurting you, I think every day you should move your legs quickly. And and, and they like Lydiard back in the day, Arthur Lydiard coached all these New Zealand Olympians in the 60s. You know, that was they just called them alactic sprints or strides. Because you don't build up acidity, you know, it's not like doing 400 meter repeats on the track till you're going to throw up or something. I mean, I think my little stretch on the golf course is like 50 meters, you know, just short, you know, just move your legs quickly, recover, but that helps the coordination and just activates, you want to activate all the systems, you know, you, you want to get quick and fast and healthy without running hard because running hard every day breaks you down. Okay. That's, I think, okay. the magic. Yeah. Okay. In fact, uh, one of the things which I, you know, which I use now after uh, reading your book is, uh, you know, some of these exercises uh, which you talk about uh, and you put it very nicely and call it awakening your springs. So, can you just uh, take us through, you know, I mean, strides is obviously one element of that, but you obviously talk about many more elements of how how you can do it and kind of incorporate it uh, daily. And uh, effectively, it's some sort of a free energy you get, uh, uh, to put it in other words. So, just take us through that whole um, that whole thing about the whole process about awakening your springs. Yeah, so fascia is the connective tissue in our body, and we tend to dissect that away in medical school. So, for example, the Achilles tendon is the biggest spring in, in the human. So if, if that tissue is healthy, it's kind of like vermicelli noodles, these little strands of spaghetti noodles sliding and gliding like a big bungee cord. You know, it's, it's a spring, and it, and it comes back, and it like a super ball, it can return energy. When all that fascia, when all that connective tissue is inflamed, Say you've had a chronic injury there and there's this big ball of wadded up fascia. You know, you hit the ground and you don't get any of that return. So keeping the fascia healthy, super important and um, multiple components to that. So certainly getting good sleep is really important. Avoiding diabetes because anything that dysregulates our metabolism affects our connective tissue. 
So I know in India now, diabetes is a disaster. It's a big issue, yeah. It's a, it's a disaster as it is in, in the U.S. and across the world. This is the pandemic, you know, that's taking more lives every day than COVID, not to disregard COVID, but why people aren't talking about metabolism and creating health, you know, in in light of COVID, because you have a healthy metabolism, your odds of severe COVID are low, plus your odds of everything else go much lower too, you know, in, in the future. But um, nutrition is super important. So we need healthy fats. Um, that's, I think, people that have like tried like uber low fat diets, they just, they wake up and they don't feel springy, right? They, they, they just like, they don't feel good. I mean, maybe a few do, but the majority don't because we need these essential fatty acids. But then doing exercises all day to awaken those springs. You know, old school, they would do a lot of jump, you know, hopping type of drills. Watch what the Kenyans and Ethiopians do for drills. And they're doing all these little rhythmic, it's like a dance. They're doing all these little rhythmic drills that are just working on this light contact foot strike and springing off the ground and just really, really super fast. Um, the foot is a magic spring. So when the foot's in its right position, and Dan Lieberman has published on this, you know, foot's like this magic uh, arch, right? It's a spring. And when the foot's working well, it will return back about 70% of the force that enters the ground, like a Super Bowl. You drop it and it comes back up. But like a hacky sack or something, it'll just flop on the ground. So when the foot's in the right position, working well, that's foot and Achilles tendon are really the massive big springs. But up in our hip flexors, you know, a great book people could read who are interested in this. It's called Anatomy Trains by Thomas Myers. Just uh, like watch people throw things. You know, they're kind of winding up, loading the spring and like a slingshot. They'll unleash that spring. That's why like someone who weighs 120 pounds can throw a javelin, you know, further than a football field. Wait a minute, <laughs> they're not that strong, but it's they know how to use their body correctly. Okay, and uh, so, you know, I know one of the areas that you work, in fact, uh, the area that you work with the US uh, Air Force is around uh, injury prevention. So, just to make a transition to that, um, what are some of the types of common running injuries that you see, and more importantly, how can one go about preventing them? Yeah, what we see in military troops are really all the kind of load injuries, you know, so you look at uh, stress fractures, specifically foot, shin stress fractures, because they're not, I think just running pipe puts them over the edge. But if you take someone in basic training, you know, they're marching for like 10 hours a day, they're putting a lot of load on their bodies, and then they're told to go run, which is just little extra might might trigger that injury. Um, knees also a big issue with uh, military troops, knee injuries. But lower extremity structural injuries, uh, and they're and they're huge. Like about a quarter of ladies in basic training will be removed from duty because of a, a musculoskeletal injury. So it's actually over a quarter, about a quarter of men, little maybe a little lower than that. Uh, and that's supervised injury, meaning we're causing that injury. So I'm retired now from the Air Force, but still involved in their protocols for basic training. And so we rehashed quite a few of of the things. So they they used to be told just go run. And if you join the military and you're trying to impress your leader, that means run as fast as you can every day. Sure. Yeah, right? Because why are you dogging it, right? They, Why are you walking? Because that's why they're in the military, right? They, 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 And they can tough it out till they break. You know, that's, that's how it goes. So they're given permission to go easier. 
the self-paced run might be a walk. There's no ramifications. No matter how slow they go, it's fine. We just don't want them hurt. We have drills we work on running form. We actually brought 12 of these uh, tre- treadmills called True Form Runner, which is a little curve to it. Yeah. So it's beautiful. So they actually need to move correctly. They have to show proper balance. They have to use hip extension, you know, proper posture alignment. So it kind of like sorts you out while you're learning. Yeah. To and these are non-motorized, right? Non-motorized. So, yeah. You can hop yeah. on a motor treadmill and do everything wrong and crank it up. You know, true yeah. form runner. We have them in my store, um, but it's a wonderful treadmill. I, I'm not sure if they're available over in India. I know no, they have. I mean, to the best of my knowledge, they are not available in India. Yeah, they've got some in Europe, quite a few in the U.S., and uh, I think Asia's got got several. But but the excellent tool to if you're listening to this from the states, go okay. find one of those trueformrunner.com, the uh, website. Okay. We can send a link. So, and in terms of people who come to your store, uh, which, which which are obviously not military personnel, but uh, you know regular folks, what are some of, the, some of the common type of injuries you you see, and generally, what a sort of advice, high level advice that w- would you give them? Yeah, plantar fasciosis is like the one. Um, so maybe in India, I'm not sure, Raj, are most people who are children walking in sandals quite often barefoot? Yes, that's true. So do you see a lot of plantar fasciosis over there in young people or not so much? Uh, not that I'm aware of. Not that I'm aware of. Like it wouldn't no, be like the no. weekend injury everybody has. No. Yeah, so no, our kids not. now are in karate shoes. You know, they're elevated heels, mm-hmm. uh, tapered toe boxes, really stiff. So the foot starts to get weak and decommissioned in America at an early age. So we see tons of people with plantar fasciosis. It's like a plague because they'll have tried everything, injected 15 different inserts, most of the orthotics, stiff shoes. Most of them just weaken the foot further. So by the time they kind of realize they're in a bad place, you know, they're a couple years in. So just like the goal in medicine, the goal is always to restore normal anatomy and physiology and function. So we kind of take it a step backwards and we look at their feet. Quite often the big toe is bent in. So they need to a, a device called correct toes. It's an insert you can put that spreads your toes out, you know, to be a, in a normal barefoot position because the big toe needs to work. Get them in a wide toe box shoe so that toe is squeezed in. You know, the foot is unstable and that plantar fascia takes the shear. There's an insole called barefoot science, which puts a little tickle on the intrinsic muscles in the arch. So it's not a support, but what it does, it tries to wake those muscles up because the muscles of the foot need to support the foot. You know, that's how it works, you know. So if you have a brace that supports your foot, your muscles are decommissioning. But it's it's a process. A lot of them are really tight in the calf area, calf Achilles. So can they get down into a deep squat? Most in America cannot. I would presume where you are, everyone could hang out for an entire day in a squat, other than the office work. I, I'm, I'm not sure about that, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it varies from person to person, uh, you know, uh, in, in terms of the deep squat. But certainly, as I said, uh, I haven't heard about plantar fascia being uh, being an epidemic or epidemic or so, because, uh, you know, as I said, uh, at least when you are a child, mostly you, you know, there is a lot of time you spend barefoot uh, and not on 
heavy cushioned shoes. So uh, yeah, there was then, an interesting study. I need to find it. I think the author's name was Chowdhury. It was like 1949, and they surveyed in India foot issues. And basically, no one had any unless it was an injury, like a trauma. And there was like no planner. You know, it was, it was had like 40,000 people in the survey. There was none of the usual. There was none of no chronic. They, if you were a foot doctor in India in 1940s, you would have needed to find a different job because there's no customers. Okay. And plantar fasciitis is basically caused by um, not using your your natural, uh, you know, basically not using the f- feet in a natural way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that certainly contributes to it. So the only way out of it is to try to train your feet to work naturally because the plantar fascia is not a muscle, but when the muscles are decommissioned, it's, 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 a, it's fascia, it's a band. And when the muscles aren't working well, that band is taking load that it's not designed to deal with again and again and again and again. So when structures in our anatomy are doing a job that they're not supposed to do and you're run, trying to run, you know, quite often training error too, you know, people trying to run too much, you know, train for a marathon when they probably should be better off with a half marathon. But okay. load certainly can apply too. You know, it's okay. not a running injury per se. It's just a structural injury. Most people in a podiatry office in America with this condition aren't runners. But it's okay. runners who come into the store that they just happen to have it too. Okay, understood. Obesity and what- is a big contributor also. So having excess weight in the belly is, is another understood. contributor. Okay. And uh, knee in uh, knee pain and uh, uh, knee injuries are fairly common, at least, you know, in, in, in terms of what I can see. Uh, how do you, I mean, uh, what are your recommendations around uh, knee pain and knee injuries and how can one best uh, prevent, prevent uh, you know, it coming to that? Yeah, most of the, especially the younger runners, they're not severe and they're more just pain syndromes, you know, because we can't identify this specific structure, but certainly like running on the true form, many of them overstride, you know, their, their foot's way out in front of them in the check mark position, they're landing hard on their heel, and, and the, their foot's unstable, the knee tends to cave in. So just shortening the stride often in these folks, getting them to slow down, a little quicker cadence, you know, kind of getting that knee out of the way versus knee's not designed to be a shock absorber, but when the foot's way stretched out, you know, it's unstable. A lot of dysfunction goes on right there at the knee. Weak hip and feet tend to cause instability in the knee. So quite often the knee issue is not a knee problem per se. It's something in your foot or your hip. It's like the knee's like the kid in the middle, you know. He's, it's someone on the other side who's, who's causing the issue. So they need a full, like we, you never, you can't treat the knee. So when someone comes in with knee pain, we look at the whole kinetic chain. You know, can they stand on one foot without falling over? You know that's instability. And yeah, in fact, that's that's one of the f- first exercises you talk talk about in your book, right? About just standing. I mean, doing this as many times in the day as possible, just standing on one leg, and then over a period of time, closing your eyes and things like that. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, a balance yeah. test. You want to engage your balance. Yeah, yeah. So since you talked about overstriding, uh, you know, it it kind of leads to the you know next topic. Uh, I wanted to cover, which is around running form, running form, running cadence. Uh, you know, what are some of the common issues you you see with it uh, in, in in your runners? Yeah, probably 
uh, especially military type runners, because these these folks don't like to run and they're not runners. You know, they're not people probably listening to these podcasts. So they tend to ground pound. They have these really slow, sticky cadences. You know, their foot's on the ground a long time versus, you know, really nice and springy. So real common gait abnormality there. And that just you can hear it. So when you have someone on a treadmill, you know, most of us don't have force plates, but if it's like thud and the treadmill shakes, they're, they're not landing soft. So in those types of, of athletes, runners, just cueing them to land softer, land softer, land softer, taking their shoes off can help them land softer. Not that they're ready to run barefoot yet, but it just teaches them to use their feet to mitigate those forces. So overstriding, um, the arms are important because when the arms tend to go like way out in front, the foot follows and they overstride. That's kind of the, the knee locked out and the ankle kind of landing with that ankle in a dorsiflexed position, meaning kind of almost looks like a check mark. You know, your heel hits, but your foot, your forefoot is off the ground and your forefoot can't, your feet can't work as shock absorbers when just your heel hits. And if you want to practice that, just stand up right now, lock your knees out, lift up your toes and try to hop up and down. You know, it's like <laughs> shakes the room. But if you have a big pad on your heel, you can get away with it. And that's what happens with the big padded shoes is they can get away with it. So I want people to learn how to run without the shoes and then they can put the shoes back on and then it's all fine. Before moving on, I wanted to request uh, all the listeners to please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. It will only take you a couple of minutes, but it will help the show enormously and help other listeners to discover the show. So please do take a couple of moments to go and leave a rating and review on either Apple Podcasts or iTunes. If you are using another app which allows you to leave a comment or a rating or review like for example CastBox, please do that either. We also request you to please check out the website runfitraj.com and also if you have any comments or suggestions to please write to me directly at runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. You can follow all podcast-related updates on Instagram at the handle Running and Fitness with Raj or on Facebook on the Facebook group Running and Fitness with Raj. Now let's get back to the show. So how, how do you uh, then address the cadence? I mean, obviously for most people, the cadence is, uh, cadence is higher when you are running at a faster pace, right? And you when you are doing your you know, easy runs or your recovery runs. Uh, should one really be focused on cadence? I mean, is, is there a minimum number one should look at uh, at any point in time? Yeah, I don't get them to focus so much on a number, but if you can get people just to just think about light, quiet, quick steps, and then they can automate. And taking the shoes off, like if we've had you on a treadmill or someone who was used to wearing shoes, Taking the shoe off of someone will usually raise their cadence about five to ten because they can't okay. reach that foot out. Now there's apps on your phone. I have one called Metro Timer. If they're yeah. down about one fifty and you're hearing the treadmill shake, they're overstriding, meaning they're just losing energy into the ground. You know, if the bottom of their shoe is skidded off. So those folks, you know, you might dial it up a little bit. So you know, you'd start the little uh, Metro Timer, and I could even see if I can open it right now and you kind of hear what this is yeah so this is like one says 159 now like say they were down at about 150 thud 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 yeah. i said well, let's just try to go to 158 or something 
keep up with okay. them. And okay. Then you, and then uh, kind of you wouldn't take them, you know, to one seventy or one eighty because then they're going to be all just try try to move it in the right direction and get and get them aware of what. And that and, is. and and then slowly, you know, increase slowly it by maybe. If they're not okay. hurt and they're fine, I don't mess with it. You know, if they're hurt or maybe they want performance. I'm not automatically going in and trying to fix people's cadence, but if they're hurt, then we got to look at different issues that could be contributing. Okay, and the uh, you know I know that you uh, you are a proponent of uh, barefoot or minimalist uh, footwear, right? Uh, and you know I, I suspect vast majority of runners these days are not. I mean, typically you have these uh, padded to heavily padded shoes so how do somebody transition to minimalist uh, minimalist footwear or minimalist shoes i think the key thing raj is just transition into a healthy strong foot so here's this is my shoe for work today most people walk more than they run this is like one of the merrill barefoot series and i can just roll it up but i'm on my feet most of the day and just being in this shoe which is wide it's flexible it's light does not have an arch support this my foot's getting stronger all day, every step I take, then I can go run. So I think people should look at what they're wearing in their day job as probably the most important shoe, because if they're squeezing into something, they're going to wreck their toe and heels up. They're going to adjust their hip and lower back. And then that's going to translate to their run. So look at your day shoe. A lot of people are doing a home work now, you know, with COVID. So be barefoot in your house, you know, have a stand-up desk, you know, while you're doing your conference calls. I'm borrowing an office here, but I have a stand-up desk. I'm standing most of the time, you know, in the day when I'm, you know, doing charts or doing calls or anything. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, would you also recommend a, a bit of, uh, you know, incorporating a bit of uh, barefoot running in your training as well as you transition to minimalist shoes? Yeah, and I think if, if you have a healthy foot, meaning like if you have questions, go see someone who understands feet. But if you have a healthy foot, like say the average child, you know, that like when you and I were kids, uh, we would always, no one would say that's dangerous activity to go run around barefoot. We hated shoes in the summer. So if you have a normal healthy foot, you know, your foot will give you feedback. It's very difficult to overrun what you should be if you're barefoot because it'll hurt. So. Yeah, stop when there's discomfort. But yeah, go find a smooth place. Go really slow. Your first barefoot run would be like you know, to the mailbox back. You know, just really short run, but progress. It's a wonderful feeling. Just I, I do a lot of pure barefoot on roads, and golf courses, smooth roads, not gravel. That's when you need shoes because those churned up rocks. Understood. Yeah. Uh, um, understood. In fact, I remember when growing up, we used to have these uh, really thin shoes, right? I mean, it was it was almost like there was nothing under your uh, under your feet. And then, you know, over the last I don't know twenty thirty years, uh, things have become uh, you know, like uh, a, yeah, yeah. They, I mean, and they had this whole fast, more natural. Uh, feel obviously I was not running marathons at that time, but uh, you know the, the, those those shoes felt good in hindsight, and and they were quite cheap, and you know none of the fancy marketing and uh, all of that. So uh, maybe it's uh, you know time to go back to time. It could have been like a little water shoe, you know, just like a. Little, uh, exactly, exactly, and uh, yeah. So um, yeah, of course. So coming to uh, you know mobility and uh, stability and stretching these aspects, 
uh, i know you you know you 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 discuss that in your book as a uh, book as well uh, how do how does one incorporate these uh, these into your training and uh, day to day living yeah i think you just have to look at your whole day raj so i wake up in the morning and i have about a 5 minute mobility routine you know roll out my hip flexors calves i'll do some hip exercises uh, many of them are described in the book just and then just move all day like if you're at a stand up desk change positions you know i'm at a seat right now i can tuck my leg behind me you know just always be moving in a different position just don't don't sit and identify your weaknesses most people are super tight in the hip flexors and that's they just got to get that those hips into extension as if you sit for you know 8 to 10 hours a day and you need to open your legs up to run it's going to be difficult and your glutes won't fire so anything during the day that can help you lunges anything to get that leg behind you is is critical to unwind the sitting okay and Sorry. and what's your watch the chair and tucking my leg behind me so <laughs> <laughs> that's that's good <laughs> you can't do that when you're driving yeah understood okay so essentially what you are saying is uh, incorporate a lot of movements in your in your day and that that should that should give a a, a lot of a lot of the benefits that you are looking for from some of this mobility and stability uh, of aspects yes, what some it this shouldn't be like an extra hour of your day of rehab time you know if you just incorporate we become like you know zoo humans you know and just sitting all day and you know texting and typing so try to find ways out of that try to incorporate like i i'll take calls while i'm running you know while i'm walking instead of sitting on the phone so okay i got to take a conference call unless there's something video like this you know okay i'm going to go out and walk and do that and i think people are doing that a little bit more now with with covid and lockdown so maybe yeah. there's going to be some upsides from this uh, less driving time for sure you know people are working from home so so look look for ways to improve your daily habits you know it's just daily habit you know i i have a a picture in there in the book there's like 150 different sitting positions you know so we all sit in a chair but sit on the floor in these different positions and you're like oh that's smart <laughs> yeah that just tells you okay when you're a kid and watch your kid, if you have young children you're like wait they can sit in all these positions why can't i yeah understood yeah so we, we we as we grow older i guess it's just that we are getting tighter and probably not using a lot of the muscles we naturally used as a kid i mean i guess that's the uh, main main reason and don't just But, run i think that's really important too rush everyone just wants to run straight ahead but find ways to do other you know i run so i can do other things too you know i like to ski you know i like to hike different terrain yeah so do other things climb shoot basketball got it. okay got it okay uh what's your view on uh, foam rolling yeah i think if you're tight i think it's good i'd foam roll um, but it, so i think a good way to explain this would be that the fascia you know which is that connective tissue you know it's maintenance so keep it keen you know and and treat it mean so if you have like an injury like balled up fascia like a knot that's when you got to get in there and be a little more aggressive with it but daily maintenance which you know isn't isn't sexy so to speak right no one everyone's into the treatment but you know find a i i it feels really good to just roll the quads and roll the calves 
you know, if it gives you a good response. So if you're out there listening, if just that gentle foam rolling never rushed, it's like, oh, that feels good. That's good. So just look for the response. If something gives you a good response, it's good. If it's giving you like pain or a bad response, you're something not right. You're not doing that right. You should never put pain in your body. Okay. And how frequently do you recommend? Let's let's assume this is a person who doesn't have any pain or other issues. Uh, do you do it uh, mul- uh, mul- uh, multiple times a week or, you know, you try to incorporate it every day? How do you approach it? Yeah, for uh, me, foam- I have a morning routine. And that's the only time I foam roll because the rest of the day is shot after that. <laughs> so I have a five minute, maybe 10 minutes, depending on the day. It's like every morning, you know, before I do anything, I have a coffee pot. So the coffee's brewing and I'm doing the same routine. Usually I will be listening to the news or something on my radio or, and uh, just relaxing and breathe, learn and practice your belly breathing. I think abdominal breathing is so important for fascia health. A lot of people are just chest breathers. I don't think, you know, we pay much. One of the chapters I devoted to breathing, which is mostly ignored in medicine and in sport, you know, but it's, it's huge. It's so powerful for activating what's called the parasympathetic system. And that's kind of that rest and digest system. And that helps our blood vessel health, helps our digestive health, helps our brain, calms us. So breathe, roll, you know, pick the, pick the spots that are your trouble spots. And work. Yeah. In fact, in fact, I had one uh, episode uh, published a three weeks or so back, which was dedicated to breathing. I had interviewed uh, Patrick McEwen. Oh, yeah. Was, uh, His book is amazing. Oxygen, oh, my God. Yeah, of Oxygen Advantage. Uh, so my mouth he, at night. Thank you, Patrick. Yeah. You taught me that trick. <laughs> I do, and I'm so, making yeah. it up. A little piece yeah, of tape. So that's, uh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And the bolt so, test. Get yeah, your bolt yeah, test. bolt test. So he he spent the whole episode on wow. all those all those aspects. So it was quite uh, amazing. Quite guy. amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, taught me a lot. Uh, yeah. So tell us something more. Uh, you know, I have obviously read your book, and I'll be linking uh, it to in the show notes. And uh, but uh, just tell us a little bit more of your book for the listeners. Uh, Run for your life. Yeah, I think what I mean. What I do here in West Virginia is dealing mostly with with the medical side of this and, and the conditions called insulin resistance, you know, it's the whole spectrum of obesity, pre-diabetes, low HDL, high triglyceride, high blood pressure. So when our bodies can't uh, process the carbohydrates correctly, and we're in an overabundance of carbohydrates, the system becomes filled and the body starts pumping out more and more of this insulin to store. And that's when things start to kind of shift to the pre-diabetic state. Um, and that's super common, you know, in uh, India also. So I, I think it's projected over half of your country is at least pre-diabetic as yeah. in America. And the awareness of this with South Asians are different. So in India, people will become fully diabetic with normal BMIs because they call it the skinny fats, the thin on the outside, fat on the inside. So South Asian by genetic will have a little belly, fully diabetic. Americans will become a little larger before they're fully diabetic. But the process is all the same. I've yet to see a patient come into my office and say, hey, doc, I have this thing called prediabetes. How do I get out of it? Most of them have no idea they even have it. I'll look at their labs. They're pre-diabetic, fully diabetic. A lot of them aren't even aware of that. And and they have no knowledge of how they got there and what to do. So I have a type of uh, condition called maturity onset diabetes of youth. So about eight years ago, I developed the type of diabetes that doesn't make the insulin sufficiently. 
So I learned the hard way also about the carbohydrates. Um, the treatment's the same. So if your body can't tolerate the carbohydrates, whether you don't make enough insulin or you're making too many, you've got to get rid of them. I use a tool now. I have it on my phone. It's attached to my arm. It's a continuous glucose monitor. And if we just put these on every single human, and they would be able to see what their body does with sugar. So here's my tracing today. It's 114. But you see the time um, when mine was, went up to 140 wasn't from food. That was from exercise. My morning run, your body makes glucose. And then I actually ate some eggs and it comes down. Different people would be a different response to exercise to food. But each person should sort that out. So if they're constantly going high, those are high insulin loads that's inflammatory starts in the liver. So if you're out there listening, even if you're running five miles a day, if you're developing a little bit of a belly, or if you have a high triglyceride, low HDL, or you're in pre-diabetes state, you got to fix your diet because you can't outrun a bad diet. Okay. Be aware. Yeah. Just know if you have this condition, it's super common. And I have in the chapters, you need to self-assess, you know, people need to be a leader of their own healthcare team. Don't wait for full catastrophe before you take action. Okay. Now, that's very, uh, that's uh, very Actually helpful. Actually, South Asians, just, right? Because it's genetically. It's yeah, absolutely. Different. We are genetically pre predisposed along with actually uh, heart disease. Well. It's a great read for those of you listening that might be of South Asian descent. It's the South Asian Health Solution. He's an internal med doc out of uh, LA, but he's he was the first one really to start writing about the South Asian genetic paradigm and his BMI yeah. cutoff to look for diabetes is like 23, which we would consider healthy. But, you know, he's seeing people BMIs of just a little more than that, fully diabetic, and then their risk of heart disease. So it's, it's about the heart disease. People don't die of the diabetic diabetes per se. They, did, they have another complication related to the diabetes. Understood. Okay. And uh, uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of some of the resources that you can... Uh, recommend i mean you just touched upon that i mean obviously i'll link the uh, your book and your website and uh, all the other details but are there some specific books or websites or blogs that you would recommend to the listeners yeah i think dr ron sinha's website um we could we could find it i think it's something ancestral i, I don't know exactly we could link to it doctor if you just put him in search um i like dietdoctor.com so it's an international site now. I think there's like 30 languages among their scientific okay. advisory. It's a non-commercial site, but it's really teaching this insulin resistance, has recipes, but trying to teach and consumer citizen science, you know, that for people that want to learn. Diet Doctor is really a wonderful site. Tim Noakes, Real Meal Revolution is a yep. great site. He, was, he just uh, had to deal with a four-year uh, legal battle where they were trying to take him down in South Africa for what he was promoting, which was a healthy, real food diet, which contains natural sources of fat as the way humans really have evolved to, to eat. So Real Meal Revolution is good. Um, on my site, runforyourlifebook.com, I have a number of resources, papers I've done on low-carbohydrate eating for medical conditions and athletics both. 
okay uh, i will uh, i will link to uh, i will link to all of this and uh, what's the best way uh, in case any listeners want to get in touch with you yeah they can just email me um af like air force r u n d o c at gmail.com i'm glad to i'm an open book glad to share anything with folks uh, if you live close to us your audience probably doesn't <laughs> um, but we have a website for my store two rivers treads.com t-w-o rivers treads.com so we can ship uh, mostly in the states uh, the international customs and such make it difficult but within the states we can ship shoes and we have a small business so we try to give a good service it's easy to go buy from these big online warehouses but small businesses now wherever you live in the world you know Try to help your local neighborhood small business because they're all they're all suffering right now. Absolutely, so with yeah. COVID and so many are shutting down. It's an economic disaster. Okay, and and do, are you on any of the social media like uh, Twitter or any any? No, I, I I have my own Facebook page, and you know through the store Natural Running Center, we have a Facebook okay. page Natural Running Center. Got it. Okay. If I have so when, I, when I get semi-retired. I'll have time to get onto Twitter, but right now it's life is. I post blogs on Natural Running Center, and uh, I try to engage at you know medical conferences, which now have all been virtual. Okay, got it. Our so I'm linked to a really yeah. great uh, series of of conferences that I help support. Got it. Okay. And you can no. now it's like we're doing it all online, right? So you can go go online and and watch all this stuff. Okay. No, Low Carb absolutely. Down Under is a great YouTube channel if you're interested in nutrition. It's called Low Carb Down Under, and there's hundreds of uh, lectures uh, YouTubed, which all were CME credentialed, meaning these are medically credentialed lectures. You know that had to pass, you know, pass the muster of evaluation, conflicts of interest. Okay. So I, I love that you could spend a week listening to those lectures. Turns everything upside down that you thought was true. But then go this try is, things yourself is, is my message. Go, don't listen to me or anyone else. If something's not working for you, go try something different. If it's all working for you, then don't don't go change something based on someone's Twitter page. Got it. Okay. No, these are uh, you know quite a lot of resources to uh, go through. So really appreciate. Eat real food. Do what your grandmother did. Eat real food. Move. Be in good company. Family. Got it. Uh, yeah, and uh, and mo- and move as naturally as possible yeah, without any, as any fancy. Yeah, without any fancy footwear, so that also yeah, helps. Saves you money. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Got it. So thanks a lot, uh, Doctor Mark. No, really no, appreciate uh, you've been very generous with no, your time. This has been extremely uh, extremely useful, uh, and uh, you know, really really appreciate. And stay well over there. We wish you the best. I wish you the best as well, Dr. Mark. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you very much to all the listeners. Please check out the podcast website, runfitraj.com. That is R-U-N-F-I-T-R-A-J.com. It has all the podcasts. It has all the show notes. And there is a very useful search function as well. You can reach out to me on my social media handles, which are running and fitness with Raj on both Instagram and Facebook. And you can also email me on runningandfitnesswithraj at gmail.com. Please let me know if you have any questions or specific guests you would like to see on the show. I also request you all again to please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word. 
please also leave a review on iTunes as it will help enormously to grow the show. We will continue to bring you exciting and interesting guests and give specific and actionable advice. Stay safe, stay healthy and till the next show, goodbye.